Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, Ed Opperman. I'm a private investigator, president of Opperman Investigations. I'm also a digital forensic, uh, president of Accurate Information Recovery. Uh, I also wrote a book called uh, How to Succeed as a Private Investigator, and you can find that on my website, emailrevealer.com. Uh, we also have a blog called The Opperman Report, uh, which you can find online. I link to it on my Facebook page all the time. And uh, we're always looking for guest uh, article writers or bloggers to join us on there with uh, whatever's going on. We had a little uh, controversy on there uh, the past couple of days uh, with these uh, scanned documents that I came across. Uh, online, it seems that uh, someone had come up with these, um, these this letter from the uh, Department of Agriculture claiming that uh, food stamps were going to be cut off November 1st. And there was all this going on about how there's going to be riots you know, over these uh, food stamp uh, defunding and all this kind of stuff. And uh, people, you know, I, I was suspicious right away, but some people were convinced uh, that these documents were declaring a, a shutdown of food stamps starting November 1st. So what I did was I contacted the Department of Agriculture and the, the uh, assistant director whose name was on the document there, and we got a little email from her uh, clarifying all that. Uh, so it seems that uh, even though um, people were reporting on this, uh, this scanned document, uh, even on TV stations, on TV news shows and stuff like that, that no one had bothered to call up and confirm it with the Department of uh, Agriculture. Uh, so now here we are. We've got this radio show called The Opperman Report. It's on every Thursday mornings, 11 a.m. on uh, freedomslips.com, Revolution Radio. Uh, I'd like to thank my producer, Anne, for all her help in getting the show together every week and uh, this morning and scrambling around getting stuff together. Uh, it's a listener-sponsored station, and we have no corporate sponsors. So if you want to support our station, you have to visit freedomslips.com and click on the Donate button. And while we're talking about donations, uh, I just want to give a little shout-out there to Stu Webb. Uh, Stu Webb, everybody knows him. He's a, a whistleblower, a freedom fighter, a really cool guy. And um, he's having some financial struggles. And if you want to donate to Stu Webb and keep him going, uh, you go to stuweb.com. That's S-T-E-W-W-E-B-B.com. Donate. And you'll find his little donate button there. And I even have a link to that on my uh, Facebook as well. Uh, okay, now if you missed last week's show, uh, you can always go to the YouTube channel, the Revolution Radio YouTube channel, and you can look up the past shows. You look up the Opperman Report, and you can find uh, all the old shows. And we're getting a lot of feedback on the old shows, especially the, the West Memphis 3 show that we did. 
uh, with Terry Hobbs and Sean uh, Wheeler. And if you just read those comments in that, the, the comments section on YouTube, you'll just be, be flabbergasted with what goes on. Uh, last week, we had the college professor, uh, Cheryl McCollum. Uh, she did a great show. Uh, and um, she's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author and a college professor and the director of the, um, uh, the Cold Case Investigative Unit Institute. And uh, she wants to get a hold of my guest today and then talk about stuff with him because she's into all this kind of stuff, too. As my guest today, and I have a great guest today. I can't, can't wait for this. I spoke to him the other night. We, I called him up just to reach out to him. And we were on the phone for about a half hour, an hour, just going over things. Uh, it felt like we are old friends. Uh, now, with the Cheryl McCollum interview from last week, uh, we were discussing some cases. And one of the cases was the Tupac Shakur case. And uh, I thought it would be a, a good idea to, to post a copy of that link onto uh, Suge Knight's uh, Facebook page uh, because, you know, Suge Knight's a local guy here, and he was with uh, uh, Tupac when he got shot. Um, I've run into Tupac, uh, to Suge <laughs> several times. Uh, I've done some work with one of his attorneys, and so, you know, we kind of know each other. We're Facebook friends, so I thought it would be a good idea to post the, uh, the link up on his, uh, his Facebook page there. And I got a lot of response from that as well. Uh, so I'd just like to give a shout-out to Suge Knight and uh, wish him all the best and uh, peace and happiness. And if he wants to come on and, and discuss that, I'd love to have him on to discuss the, uh, the whole Tupac Shakur uh, murder. Or maybe it was an accident. Who knows what happened in Tupac? It's still an open case. It could have been an accident or something like that, right? Okay. Um, got some upcoming guests coming up. Uh, one is I'm trying to get still on that firm, Sonny Grasso. Uh, who's the NYPD detective who was uh, played Cloudy uh, in the movie uh, The French Connection. And uh, I'm also working on that PI from the, uh, the Ariel Castro case. And then I got Joshua Brookshire coming on. Uh, Pat Brown, the criminal profiler that you see on HLN and Court TV all the time. And my friend Ernest Del Casal, who's the, uh, the director of uh, ERDF, Equal Rights for Divorced Fathers. He's a, an advocate for... Uh, uh, father's rights here in Nevada, and a, a really great uh, grassroots kind of guy. Now, my guest today, okay, let me get started. I got uh, James Rothstein, uh, NYPD detective, retired, and now he's a mayor. Uh, he's a mayor of a small town over there in, uh, in uh, Minnesota. Uh, incredible guy with a, an incredible background. Uh, he worked on the Son of Sam uh, investigation in New York City, and out of that, he became an expert on the Process Church of the Final Judgment, uh, which is a, a satanic-type cult group uh, from the 60s. They began in England. And uh, James is an expert on this uh, situation here and this, this topic. And uh, I really want to really cover the Process Church, Son of Sam, Manson, all these kind of this area uh, with James here today on the first show. And I want to have him back. I'm going to beg James to come back in the future. So, James, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, so uh, how, do you, how would you like to describe yourself, James, a little bio? Mm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I was an, I'm a retired New York City detective, and I started working human trafficking as a young rookie cop quite by chance. And uh, I've been doing it now 48 years, so I've been all over this country on this type of thing, and among that came the... Son of Sam case, plus many others like it, and uh, I've actually been following what turned out to be the Son of Sam case since 1969. 
So it, it, do you think that's how you got started in this whole thing with the process church and the human trafficking? Was it the Son of Sam case? No, what got me started was the human trafficking, which took me into the Son of Sam case. It's a, uh, a piece of the whole puzzle of human trafficking. We included that type of the satanic stuff and the occult stuff is all covered under human trafficking. So I guess you were working like Vice, and you got involved with the teenage prostitutes and their pimps and stuff like that, and that's how you got exposed to it in the first place. Yes, I did. I had an informant come to me, and he was the one that took me to Untermeyer Park, and I had no idea what I had at the time. And also, there was not far from Untermeyer Park is Van Cortland Park, and there was a site at Van Cortland Park where this activity was taking place, too. Right, and it was fairly well organized, wasn't it? Yes, it, you can call it organized, but uh, it's mostly, uh, you know, birds of a feather hang together, and uh, it goes all over these different groups. Uh, some of them are dovetail off of the process, and this particular first part of the operation was the core of uh, the process that we found out later. Okay, so you, you were first exposed to Undermeyer Park and Van Cortland Park, uh, and you saw this activity going on there. Now, was that before or after the whole Son of Sam's killing started? Well, the Son of Sam stuff didn't come out till 1978. Right. And like I said, we had it in 1969. I had an informant that showed me in Untermeyer Park. He took me there, and I never forget we drove in behind the hospital, there's a hospital right at on Broadway there in Yonkers. And we drove down behind the hospital at that time. You could drive right behind it. And we got out. We went down three steps, and we walked down the side of the hill to where you could see this rock-based formation with a rock wall. And when you looked up, there was a building. And this building is where the uh, sacrifices of the kids and the German shepherds was taking place. So we got to check that building out and everything, and at the time, we had no idea. It was just more information that we were gathering because our investigation was all-encompassing, and uh, this was just another part of it, and we had no idea it would turn out to be the Son of Sam case. Now, were you able to make any arrests way back in 69 of this cult and all this kind of activity? <laughs> no, we did not make a we did make arrests, but again, we did not know that it was a cult activity. The first arrests we made were a chauffeur picking up some kids for uh, his uh, boss. And we didn't even know what it was, but we just got him with the kids. And the information we had is he was using these kids, this guy, and uh, that's why we got involved and arrested him. What year was that? That was about 1970. 71, something like that, about a year, year and a half after we got started. So now, was the Process Church uh, specifically involved in these kind of cases back in 69, 71? We didn't know. We didn't know. know? No, okay. we, because remember, this was raw information coming sure. in, and at that time, if uh, anybody would even talk about it, they'd have put you in the same asylum, you know, because that stuff didn't happen, and we really didn't know, so we started investigating. Like I said, this was only a small part of the whole picture. So now, when did you become uh, aware of the Process Church? 
I actually became aware of the Process Church when I met with Maury Terry when I was doing a TV sh- uh, show about Marita Lorenz uh, on Now It Can Be Told. It was a Geraldo Rivera deal. And uh, it was in that conversation that I actually tied this thing to the Son of Sam case. Uh, I had heard about it later, but not as the Son of Sam. One of the detectives, the, uh, one, of, one of our forensic detectives and uh, uh, crime scene investigators was a good friend of mine. And any cop in New York at the time when they'd find something weird, and this was about six months before the Son of uh, Berkowitz arrest, and he told me that he had this weird case and that he was seeing similarities between a number of murders that occurred in the city of New York. So he ran it by me on what it was, and uh, we could tie it back to something, but we still didn't know it was the Process Church. Wait, now, are you saying that uh, Maury Terry knew six months before the arrest of Berkowitz that it was the Process Church? No, no, okay. this came after, after the arrest is when I did the show with Maury Terry. He okay. was the producer. Just double-checking. Yeah, and the conversations we had, you know, somehow the conversation got to the son of Sam, which he was very much, you know, and later on he wrote a book called The Ultimate Evil about it, which is probably the most comprehensive book and accurate as to what was really involved. And then when we put it together, we then knew that it was the son of Sam case. Gotcha. Now, uh, are you aware of, because uh, Maury Terry was also like screaming from the rooftops uh, during that whole situation with Heather Nussbaum and uh, Joel Steinberg and little Lisa Steinberg, that uh, he was claiming that uh, Heather Nussbaum had, t- in fact, I think it was in Heather Nussbaum's diary, that she had taken little Lisa Steinberg over to Roy Radin's house in uh, uh, the Hamptons over there. I didn't investigate that, but uh, yes, I do believe that's true. Like I said, I did not investigate that. Gotcha. Okay, so um, where would you like to go with, with this? Um, well, we're, you, you know your audience. You, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, uh, we got raw information. You know, my job wasn't to make arrests. My job was to find out what happened. And how this all started, it's probably best to start at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, when I came out of the police academy, I was assigned to the 16th precinct, which was Times Square. And Right, I got there in June, and about July, I saw the activity. Once they let me out of the, the hidden corners to patrol the main area, I saw all these young girls from the Midwest being prostituted. And uh, I got assigned to it by a captain named Louis Groman because most of the kids, or a lot of them, were from Minnesota. And I was from Minnesota, so he figured, let me clean up my own mess, you know, and that's how I got into that. And then a cop by the name of Campisi was murdered by a pimp. And I was the only guy that had any records of that. And just to give you an example of how information, even in the biggest police department, isn't always complete. When I was assigned to this, the first thing the intelligence division supplied the information on the pimps. Well, the pimps they named were nothing more than Murphy men. They did not have one pimp identified in the intelligence department in New York City. And Murphy men were guys where some guys say, hey, I got a girl uh, up in room so-and-so with the name Mrs. Murphy on it. You knock on there, and they take the guy's money. Well, they called them pimps. There were no, nobody there. He'd go the other direction. 
So then they realized we better get some information on these guys, and that's what got my career started. And I was specifically assigned to find out everything, every aspect of uh, human trafficking and the different uh, things that came off of that. That's how I got started with this. And that's why when we stumbled, we got into that information from an informant. And by the way, by this time working this, uh, I had saved the life of a prostitute uh, who was going to be murdered by a pimp because she didn't want to go with a pimp. And I arrested him. Well, once you save somebody's life like that, you have a friend. And that's really what catapulted with my career because as I went along, we got more information. And then when we got into the pedophile end of it, the male prostitution, that's where it took me into the Son of Sam case, the Untermeyer Park connection, and all of that. So what we would do as we gathered and started separating this information, we started seeing different patterns. We had the religious uh, pedophile stuff. We had the occult. We had another interesting part of this, which dovetails off of all of this, is what we call human compromise, human intelligence, where they would use prostitutes or little boys and such to compromise people, set them up, you know, and have them use a kid and then photograph it and all that. And that way they had them compromised. That's how all of this really got started. Right, because then they could blackmail. Yes, yes. And then they can use that blackmail and extortion to avoid arrest and prosecution later on. Not only that, it's worth a lot of money. That's true, too. And I ended up with another informant. I can give his name and people can look it up. Ed Skull Murphy ended up being probably my best informant uh, on that end of it. And from there, once we started following all these different leads, that's how I got to the informant that took me to Untermeyer Park. So you Okay, you there? You see, yeah, yeah, you can see it's not a simple path. And you got to remember, we started with absolutely nothing. Right. So now, uh, were there any other uh, uh, NYPD detectives and stuff like that working along with you, or was it you like mostly like a lone wolf kind of guy? Well, it's, it started off lone wolf, and then every once in a while, I would get other partners. Uh, for instance, if there was a homicide involved that was weird. I'd get that, you know, I'd tie, tie in with them. Uh, and then at one point we did have a group of five men working this particular thing. And it was that big when we got into it, so they assigned five of us. But I was basically always more or less working on my own. Right. Now, now try and describe for the listeners what it was like back in the 70s uh, for NYP detectives. Now, they, they kind of had a little bit more free reign back in those days, a little less kind of supervision, didn't they? Yes, especially if you uh, worked uh, the way I did. I had a basically an unlimited expense account, and I would report for quite a while. I would report directly to either a inspector or somebody of that rank. And uh, then eventually, uh, the first time they tried to stop us, then they gave me a sergeant. Hey guys, I got a great new deal for you. It's called Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Now, I want you to take out a pen and paper and write down Opperman 50, O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N 5-0. Now, Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. 
Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, and more. Uh, there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or schedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. Now head to factormeals.com front slash opperman50 and then you use code opperman50 to get 50% off. That's code opperman50 at factormeals.com front slash opperman50. O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N-5-0 to get 50% off. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a supervisor. And it went in different degrees. On different levels that we would always get stopped. And then somebody would pick it up again. And then we would continue. So that was where the problem came in. Well, uh, what kind of problems did you run into? Well, you were harassed by your own people. You know, gotcha. there were people in the uh, department that didn't want you investigating this. Like I said, uh, the human compromise that goes with this is tremendous. And you start finding out everything that's happening. When you're out pounding the beat, uh, it wasn't even a beat, but you're moving around at night dealing with hookers and everything else, uh, and they trust you. So that was the biggest thing. You had to develop what we call honesty and integrity. And once you had that, these people, the information would come in just unbelievably. You would find out everything. Who was the police commissioner back in those days? Michael Codd? Yeah, he was there. There was uh, different ones. There was McGuire. There was, uh, uh, oh, I can't even remember all their names. But there were four, different, four or five different police commissioners while I was doing this. 
Michael Cod was actually uh, my my uh, high school shop teacher was uh, Bart Cod, Michael Cod's brother. No, and I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding you, my friend. And could you imagine if I, I did take the police test, but I didn't go through with it? And could you imagine the, the easy ride I would have had, man, if I would have went ahead with that? Yeah, yeah. And then finally, after we were stopped the fourth time, yeah. uh, Governor Kerry formed the New York State Select Committee on Crime. And I was picked because one of my informants, Skull Murphy, they brought him in to testify. And he said, why should I testify? You can't even protect your cops. If you've got an honest cop, you can't even protect them. So then myself and another detective by the name of Rosenthal were assigned to the State Select Committee on Crime over the police commissioner and the mayor's head. And uh, that started in the late 1976. So uh, that's when it was basically when we got stopped in that investigation after I arrested uh, uh, a couple of CIA guys, uh, then I got retired. So that's how that worked because you got, you got to remember we were finding out everything. Right. Okay. Now, real quick, we're getting a question from the chat room. Right. They want to know. Uh, they want to know about the connections of the Process Church, the Charlie Manson, and all these other nationwide uh, 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 killings and uh, things like that. But can you start first with the history of the Process Church in in England and how they began over there and came over here? Well, when I first and you know, got wind of it and started looking into it. We found they had come over here and ended up in New Orleans, and then eventually they ended up in the Bronx. But also up in the Bronx, there were different uh, segments of it. Uh, we knew of at least three separate segments. Uh, some of them were not directly tied to the process, but were, how would you say, they all did the same thing, so they all knew each other. See, this underground uh, later on, we were able to determine that this underground went all across the country. And then about uh, 1977, there was a movement when they realized that the Son of Sam was following, falling apart, that the cops were zeroing in. They started moving west along Interstate 994. And the person to be killed was in Minot, North Dakota. It was one of the car boys. If you remember, the Son of Sam came from the name Sam Carr. Right. And one of the boys got killed in Minot. But over the years, uh, again, this is not a, a one-year or five-year investigation. This took years and years to put this together. And they finally settled in Kanab, Utah. And this was later verified just five years ago when a source from there came to me and spent about three weeks telling me what was going on and what had really transpired. So this investigation really lasted almost 40 years. Okay, so now uh, I want to get into that. Real quick, what, what are they doing now in Utah? What kind of an organization are they running over there right now? They're supposedly, I haven't been out there to look at it because very well protected. The Grimston's out there. Yeah. We know that. I know that from the source. But what they use as a front is the best friends of animals and don't take knocking the people who help animals. But that is what the front for it is. And that's according to a person right from the, uh, uh, how would you call it, the fortress that they have there. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, that they're running like an animal shelter. Yes. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> but, but you think it's a totally still a front and you still think that they're up to some kind of shenanigans? What do you think? Well, these things never stop. Right. They come and they go. 
And like I said, this has been years and years. And then there was another detective from New York by the name of Gannon that start, has started with a case in New York, and eventually he found that these cases had spread across the United States. He didn't know me. We only met again way after the fact, uh, and he called it the smiley. You have to excuse me. These are people trying to get, but oh. we called it, he called it the smiley face killers. There's, there's another part of this where young college boys were ending up drowning. And that's the case he was looking at. And whoever that was doing it would leave a drawing or something of a smiley face. And we know that came right out of that. We also know when they started moving west, Wisconsin, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, there was another guy by the name of Vernon Seitz. We know from a lot of Maury Terry's work that... Let me uh, let me for a second, because I'm familiar with the smiley face murders, okay? Now, you're saying yeah. that that's connected to the process church moving, moving west? It, it was part of the uh, uh, movement of the process when they started finding figuring out that the New York Police Department was closing in on the Son of Sam, they started moving west wow. around Interstate 90-94. Now, I don't mean that they don't fluctuate 100 miles or so, but that was the geographic uh, uh, designation that I gave it because that's basically the direction they headed in. Okay, we only and got about a minute before the break, but let me ask you this. Now, were there any arrests in those smiley case uh, murders? No, there's never been any arrests. Nothing, right, that's right, they're no. still unsolved. Are they still continuing today, are they still going on? There hasn't been any that I know of in the last two or three years. It seems right after Gannon, and there was another professor from St. Cloud State University, mm -hmm. Lee Gilbertson, which St. Cloud State is right where I live, right. uh, and he had picked up on it. Okay, we got a break coming up. Now, my guest is James Rothstein. He's a mayor in Minnesota, incredible guest, NYPD retired, expert on Son of Sam, process church, cult killings. We'll be back in a few minutes. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. Uh, this is Ed Opperman, uh, Revolutionary Radio. Uh, freedomslips.com is a listener-sponsored radio station, so please uh, you know, click the donate button. I have a fascinating guest uh, that I'm going to beg this guy to come back over and over and over again. We're going to have to stalk him and harass him until he comes back. Okay, <laughs> uh, Jim Rothstein, NYPD retired. He's talking about the Process Church, about the, the Son of Sam. Uh, it was an investigator on the Son of Sam case. Human trafficking across the country. And now we're just talking about the smiley face murders. Now, Jim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, my friend, let me ask you this. Uh, because now we know the process came from England, and uh, then they came to the Bronx and New Orleans. But now what about, because uh, they were involved with uh, Charlie Manson, weren't they? Oh, yes, because this whole thing had already started spreading across the country. When the, uh, uh, when the New Orleans thing started up, uh, as you know, these, as I said earlier, these groups uh, are all connected together. And there was a, a, a something similar going on you know, on the West Coast, so naturally they were all tied together. But there was one other thing before we should go there. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware that the Son of Sam case was reopened in 1997 by the Yonkers Police Department. Did you know that? I, I, I did not know that, no. Yes, because what happened was at the insistence of Maury Terry, the Yonkers Police Department reopened the investigation and brought me out to New York 
to assist in the investigation. And this will give you an idea of just what was going on because about the second day I was there, when I got there, first of all, there was a New York City detective who worked similar to the way I worked assigned to the case. And the second day or so, the New York Police Department, especially the retired chief of detectives, I can't think of his name now, it started with a B, but I don't can't think of it. Anyhow, he put the word out, get Rothstein out of town. If they open this case wide open, uh, this is going to blow everything out of the water. And they recalled the detective back to the department. And uh, they, I stayed another couple of days working with the sergeant from Yonkers and other people and went over the entire thing just as I got the information, how I was taken to this location and all that. So we went over all of that. And then an interesting thing, I went and met with my old informant that had given me the original information. And I wore a wire, a transmitter. You for, you know what that is. Sure. And I went in and interviewed this guy for a couple of hours. And he, you know, it was like old day, old time. He was telling me everything. And uh, he even told me about one of the people in the original thing when they first started with the German Shepherds and stuff. This There was a woman involved. I don't remember her name. And she, in fact, stayed with him. A number of the Son of Sam people had stayed with this informant. Hmm. Uh, and so we, I transmitted that. It was transmitted all over New York, and whoever would have been listening, it was interesting because this guy told us everything. The same stuff I had known years before. But the, like I said, the interesting part was they shut it down again. And the reason that I believe this case was originally shut down because they were scared it would cause a tremendous uproar in the New York City area if it got out that there was this operation going on. And that's why basically they made the arrest. Berkowitz took a rap for everything. And we also knew that there was more than one shooter. In fact, two of the shooters came from Minnesota. One came from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the other one came from a place called Detroit Lakes, and they're right along Interstate 94. So there was a lot more information involved than the average people even know about. Let me ask you this. I always heard that uh, one of the victims uh, in the Son of Sam shootings were actually involved in the cult, and they knew too much, and they were being taken out as a, as a planned hit. That I never found. That I didn't verify. I heard about it. Right. But there were other things. Like I said, one of my good friends was the forensics guy or the crime scene investigator, and this guy was super sharp. He found some common denominators, which he never told me, and I didn't ask because that was his case. But there was a, a, a lot of people in the department, and I don't mean the general part, but the people that worked these type of cases that knew there was far more to the Son of Sam case than what came out with the arrest of Berkowitz. Now, what about the, the, the connection of Roy Raiden to the, uh, the Son of Sam murders? Well, again, that we didn't investigate. We knew it was there. Uh, and Raiden was involved in the, all kinds of stuff, as were a lot of other people. Raiden just ended up getting killed, I believe, out on the, on the island or something. No, he but, got killed uh, in California. In where? In, in California. he was. Oh, yeah, California, him. but he had been out on the island. Right. As we call Long Island. So that's, we had him there. But there were more people. 
you know, there was a whole underground that is going on. And here's another interesting thing. When I went to that building I told you down at Untermeyer Park, a number of years later, less than two miles or less than a mile off of Interstate 94 in Stearns County, Minnesota, there was a chapel on a lake called Lake Saganac. And in that chapel were the same type of drawings that we saw in the uh, uh, building in the park. So we knew, or I knew, that this thing had moved and had been active for years because some of the paintings were not fresh. Right. And I had eyewitnesses that had seen some of these cult or satanic, whatever you want to classify it as, actual uh, uh, seances or what you want to call them, taking place in the woods where a young boy was kidnapped from. So this thing has, you know, been pretty well documented. Plus, there was a priest in Wisconsin by the name of Father Kunz who was ma uh, murdered. And we know that Kunz had gotten information on this. And to this day, I believe he was murdered because of what he knew. Now, this whole Wisconsin connection is also, if you go back to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, one of the 44s used in the Son of Sam killings came from the uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin area. And one of Manson's right or main ladies or women that he was with also ended up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So, you know, like I said, we followed this all across the country over the years. Wow. Okay, now what about uh, the Andre Rand uh, uh, murders, uh, the abductions and murders on Staten Island? Did you ever work on that? No, I didn't. I, I know about it, but I never actually investigated it. But there were a lot of speculations that those were connected, to, again, to that same uh, Berkowitz cult, right? Yes, and there were other things, too. The, you know, we had at one time, there was a, a uh, 13 murders that had been committed, and a special task force was formed to investigate that. And, uh, in fact, it was done a couple of times, and the same with that investigation. It involved all these different types of uh, weird killings, uh, mm. In one instance, there were six or seven murders, and each one of the murders had a candle by it. And that was, you know, so there, there was all kinds of these things going on. And that was in New York as well? Yes, that was right in New York City, yes. Hey, what about, yeah. are you familiar with the, the, the Richard Beganwall case? No. Okay, he, no. Was a, uh, he was a Staten Island uh, guy. And uh, anyway, we'll get on Staten Island future date. But he, he seemed to have some connections with this kind of stuff, too. Okay, so well, um, that's, yes, yes, because there were, you know, and then if you you got to mingle these things together, because once we got into the pedophile underground, and all these kids, now they weren't just boys, they were girls too. At that time in the seventies, you mentioned it before, what it was like. There were all these runaway. Uh, we called them the lost people, the lost children. You would go to these what we called juice joints at night. And there'd be thousands of kids right. that didn't belong to anybody. And we know from our investigations, uh, there's a lot of other things that dovetail off of this, that these kids could be taken and used, and uh, nobody would miss them. Right. People have to remember that back in the 70s and even the early 80s, the drinking age in New York City was 18. So when I was 16 years old, I, we were, I was going to the bar at 16, you know. And uh, the Times Square was just rampant with prostitution 
and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, massage parlors and escort uh, services and stuff. It was just in street walkers. It was just a, a, a field, field day uh, for that kind of well, stuff back in the 70s. Sure, and what they were doing is they had the juice joints where they had all these experimental drugs, and we even followed to where that came from, and it was just amazing. Last year, the U.S. government finally admitted that there was a program called MK Ultra that went on from the late 60s and 70s. Huh, we knew about that in the 60s and 70s already. Oh, yeah. Wait, now, our audience is very familiar with MK Ultra. Now, what, what can you go into on that? Well, MK Ultra was where we would see victims. Uh, and by this time, we had developed a very good confidential intelligence base with many of the hospitals and medical people and psychiatric people. And if they would see something weird, I'd get the call. And so we saw all these uh, you can't even imagine. It would take three shows to put down all the things that were going on, the experiments, the victims that we saw. Some of them would be like rocks till you got them sobered up again or straightened out. And then we would take them to Bellevue Hospital to uh, the uh, med- uh, mental ward, and there was a special section there where they took care of some of these people we brought. So this was see, this all worked together. And that's how they did it. And then the other part of this is we actually caught a man uh, that was working for certain people in the intelligence field compromising people. And one particular night on East 64th Street in 1971, they killed two 14-year-olds and a 15-year-old they were using to compromise a couple of people, or in fact, three people. And... Uh, Years later, in about 1976-77, we were able, under the New York State Select Committee on Crime, to serve a subpoena for him to testify uh, in front of the uh, State Select Committee on Crime. From the time we served him in Locust Valley, now you being a New Yorker, you know where Locust Valley was on the north shore of Long Island. Sure. So we got to the office, which was on Chambers and Broadway. They had invoked national security. So we never got to question the guy. So these are the types of things we were running into. And its I mean, it was just unbelievable. There was never a day that there wasn't something that would come up. So how often did you run into MKUltra, and, and how high up did you trace it? Well, we ended up uh, arresting the uh, uh, woman attached to one of the guys. This involved a drug operation, but... Uh, we took it to the very top. We knew who the people were, and uh, especially the stuff that worked in New York. Now, do you remember the death of Frank Olson? No. Frank Olson was a CIA guy that supposedly jumped out of the window after he experimented with LSD. And just a number of years ago, it was reopened as a murder case when he, in fact, had been thrown out of the window because they were scared he was going to rat out what they were doing. This is when they were doing a lot of experimenting in the uh, midtown, you know, the juice joints and stuff with LSD. You wouldn't believe some of the sites we saw on, you know, not only LSD, but some stuff we never found out what it was. You know, growing up in New York City, uh, I became involved with the the Yippies uh, on the Lower East Side over there on Bleecker Street, a Yippie headquarters. Oh, yes, know them well. Oh, very good. Okay, well, what do you got on that? What can you tell us? Because Well, yeah. you had a guy by the name of Joey Schwartz, and there was a, a, a lady uh, trying to think of her name right now. I didn't expect we'd go there, 
but uh, they had these what they were called gay juice joints. Yeah. And these juice joints would cater to the kids. There were a lot of kids there because it became like a market for people to come and pick them up and use them. And uh, we had that all infiltrated. Uh, there was Seymour Seiden and Shelley Bloom. In fact, it ended up Shelley Bloom got killed by the woman I just referred to who had been tied to uh, the uh, MK Ultra project. Are you familiar with uh, Mickey Caesar, who was the uh, the Pope of Pot and had dialer joint over there on uh, Bleak Street? I knew who he was. I never. We never got into investigating pot. Uh, we we looked more. There were bigger joints. You had the Anvil. You had the Hitching Post, and sure. all of them, where the really strange, weird stuff was happening. The the leather stuff uh, and and things like that. So you see this all blended together, and that's why they had unlimited resources. Right. Because there was only one or two of us doing this, and. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people got rich off of it. Yeah, because they were also involved in drug dealing and gun running and uh, prostitution, yes. pornography. But Mickey Caesar, now, did you know that he was a, a member of NAMBLA? And, uh, yeah, I did know that, yes. And, and, and NAMBLA, see, NAMBLA came in this right. uh, very early on already. Because uh, he, he seemed to be untouchable, Mickey Caesar. Uh, he had a, a lot of... Yeah, he had a phone number over there where he was running his pot business that was 777-CASH that had no phone bill. had no You couldn't trace it back uh, from the phone company, and it was just like connected to his little apartment down there, and he had this phone number with no bill, no trace, no nothing to it. Well, yes, there was a lot of that. Do you remember a place called the Stonewall? Yeah. Well, on, on, uh, 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 Christmas Street. Uh, yeah. Christmas, yeah. Well, that was – I busted that joint and you can look it up under Skull Murphy, except they missed a few things. And then there was an article written by William McGowan on Slate, the new uh, whatever they call it that's being out there now. And William McGowan wrote an article about Ed Skull Murphy and about what happened at, at Stonewall. Well, they didn't know the rest of the story because it was my informant that helped me set up to take the Stonewall, uh, which was a tremendous place where all of this stuff was recruited at. And they were paying everybody off. And I was working at the time with a deputy inspector who didn't like corrupt cops. So after they made the payoff that night, this was the night of the riot, we went and busted the joint. And you won't believe it, but Skull Murphy escaped. Hmm. Can you imagine that, a guy escaping? Well, he was the guy that set the whole thing up. He signaled me when the payoff had gone down. So when we busted the joint, well, they got kind of tired of that, so a big riot started, and that was the start of the uh, freedom for the underground gay community. That's another big story that gets leads into every other thing, too. Yeah, because, but again, are, there was so much blackmail in those days of, of homosexuals. Uh, oh, they, it, was yeah. a, it was a multi-billion dollar business. Wow. And then what happened was... Uh, uh, Soon they found out that we could be trusted. There was at that time there were three of us, and they could trust us. And uh, we would start busting people. You know, Matty the Horse and them guys. Matty the Horse was the guy that ran most of this. Sonny and Jenny Tobin, they ran all these joints. I know Matty the Horse. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Staten Island. I know all these names. <laughs> oh yeah, you do. I mean, if, yeah. if you were around the scene, you had to know these people. 
And again, we had a tremendous uh, underground information uh, informant base set up in this, and all uh, of it was unofficial. Right. Explain to people uh, who may not be familiar how it works with these informants, like how you can arrest somebody or threaten to arrest them, and then they become an informant, and they, they pretty much have a, a, a free reign to do whatever they want. Well, this is where it got very sticky. I never took informants from arrests. Uh, only on one ca- occasion did we arrest somebody and then use him as informant. Most of my informants came from the trust they had in me. So I didn't have to register them as informants. They were confidential sources. And, you know, it's a very fine point of the law. In the one case, the guy's name was Ben Rose, and he was supplying little boys to the United Nations. Hmm. And when I busted him, uh, I was wearing a wire because we figured we'd get a bribe offer, and he didn't instead as he would say, he turned around and started offering uh, information, and so we... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A, what they call, he was arraigned in... Uh, uh, blindly, you know, so nobody would know he had been arrested or anything. And he re- he was another very good informant of mine, and he took us into another whole direction, which ended right back up with all the other stuff. Yeah, it always seems to, to, to be a, it's a small world to begin with, but it always seems to be the same people involved. Oh, yes, involved. yes. Even but, but, being in New York City, it was so, it was so well connected. Right. Once you got into it, you learned everything. Now, we only got a couple of minutes. We have four minutes till the break, okay? Then we have another whole hour to go. But let me ask you this. Now, give people an idea, because a lot of people say, oh, the U.N., oh, we're going to surrender all our power to the U.N., and they're against us, and they have all this control and stuff like that. But explain to people how, in New York City, uh, how uh, there is so much uh, infiltration and uh, control and blackmail and bribery going on with these uh, U.N. delegates. Oh, yes, and that's a very common thing. The best thing is, and gosh, it gets to be a never-ending list. Yeah. All you got to do is your stoolies or your base tells you everything that's happening. Uh, you, you're out there and you find out this guy's doing this, this guy's doing that, 
And there was one thing we found on very early when I was doing these investigations. We could not turn our information into the normal sources. Uh, our files were kept completely away from everybody because, you know, people would go in and get the information and go extort people. Right. So our information was kept extremely, extremely close. Where are those files now? I don't know. <laughs> All that stuff disappeared. Everybody that worked this here in Minneapolis I, just a month or two ago or six months ago, there was a lieutenant out here by the name of Gary McGahee we worked with. And I asked the Minneapolis Police Department for his files, if there were any. And this was the second in charge in the Minneapolis Police Department said there are no files. And many of the files we had, uh, first of all, very few things that we had were ever written down. Right. You had to remember it because it was too dangerous to put it out there. If somebody got it, you know, people get killed and all of that. So, But the files we had, I heard a couple of years ago that everything had disappeared. Yeah, I can just imagine who has their hands on it now. Oh, boy, there's so much to get into here. Oh, real quick, um, are you familiar with the... Uh, the whole French Connection case and stuff like that. Now, uh, are you familiar with the two cops from Staten Island who were involved in the French Connection case that later on uh, went on to own a bunch of video stores? Uh, no. I. What were their names? I don't remember. I'm always trying to track down the information. I know who you're talking about, but I can't think of the names. I. Uh, but the French Connection is an interesting thing. As you know, many of the drugs were stolen from right. the property clerk's office. Right. Well, at one time, the day after they were going to arrest me for some trumped-up charges about uh, helping assassinate a pimp, well, they, they needed an investigation into the French Connection drugs, and they asked me to take the uh, investigation with somebody else, and I wouldn't do it because I already knew what happened. So uh, it wasn't complicated. They walked right out the back door. Yeah. So that was no big secret, you know. And I think it was those two guys from Staten Island. I think so. I, I'm trying to. I can't remember. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I always heard. And they went on. They, they had these video stores, and then they sold these video stores, this chain of video stores, for like 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 thirty million dollars, isn't some kind of insane amount of money? <laughs> so there was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. We got we got we got to tra track that down. Okay, we only got about a minute left. We're, uh, we're gonna have a, uh, we can take calls when we come back. Three four seven six eight eight two nine zero two. My guess is James Rothstein. Uh, NYPD retired. He's a mayor now. Uh, just fascinating guy. So, so give us a call when you get back. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. Uh, we have our guest today, retired NYPD detective uh, Jim Rothstein, uh, mayor of uh, a town in uh, Minnesota. Uh, incredible guest. Guy has uh, everything at the tip of his tongue. Uh, all the all knows all the secrets. Knows all the dirt. <laughs> Probably knows where all the bodies are buried too, right, Jim? Well, sometimes, uh, just as a quick insight, yeah. uh, one of my informants just came out of the dark after 40 years. He wrote a book called Watergate Exposed. His name is Robert Merritt, and he lives up in the Bronx now. And if people want to see just how this stuff all worked, his book is very, very informative on what was going on. He was one of the inside people. He was a victim uh he was used and abused, and uh, eventually they ended up compromising all kinds of people, some very high-ranking people in our government. And you take, like, Skull Murphy, the one I told you about earlier and in the article, 
like he had Admiral Forrestal and Admiral Churchill, and this is the type of stuff we dealt with. And these were the informants. I never knew Robert Merritt by name, or in fact by face, till here when he called me because he's dying of cancer. So it's amazing how many of these people will contact me even to this day to let me know who they are. And what's the name of his book? Watergate Exposed. Wow, okay. Well, let's get into some of that then, okay? Because um, uh, a lot of these other big uh, child trafficking scandals, like the Finders and about yeah. the, uh, you know, the Boys Town, uh, where do you want to start with that? What do you want to get into? What, what do you well, let, uh, again, the best is to start right where we, st where we were at. Okay. Uh, when we started getting into these different things, especially when we started getting uh, people who were telling us everything that was happening. And uh, many of these cases, the Franklin cover-up, as it was called, John did the book on that. Uh, you had what was known as the Minnesota Strip, where hundreds of kids were being transported around the country from Minnesota. You had uh, the Henry Vincent case. You had the Craig Spence. You, all these people you had. And another big thing was the use of children and such to gain intelligence. Uh, and at one point when we, uh, I always wondered how you can invoke national security to cover up the killing of two 14-year-olds and a 15-year-old. So those were the things that we started getting into. It went far beyond New York City and went far beyond the street. But it all started, uh, there was one other name I was going to ask you, I thought of it, was Sherry's down in the village. You had, and then you had the limelight. I yep. don't know if you remember them from your days. Yes, I do. Let me tell you about the limelight real quick, because uh, I know one of the, uh, the promoters. I owned a club myself in Manhattan back in the 80s. Uh, Which but the, one? It was called a fallout. It was on Canal, uh, Broadway and Canal. Then I should know where it was. <laughs> well, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you though about the limelight because I knew one of the girls who was a club promoter there, and she was a frequent uh, uh, guest over at Roy Radin's house over there in the Hamptons, and uh, all kinds of stories. That place was was full of little kids uh, at these parties, and and drugs galore, and, and porn stars. They used to talk about how there were porn stars there. Yes, but, but keep going. The transsexuals. <clears throat> that were working the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that were work, you know, running the uh, shows and stuff too. That was a whole nother part of the underground. And uh, yes, the whole club scene, right. and almost all of it was controlled by Matty the Horse and Sonny and Jenny Tobin and uh, a few people like that. So if you knew one, you knew them all. Yeah, back in those yeah. days, to have a club in New York City, it was impossible uh, to, to run a, a club without being totally infiltrated by organized crime. At every level, from the doorman, you had to hire their guys, you had to buy the liquor from their guys, the, the trash was picked up by their guys, everything. In your own club, you, you, you didn't own the place. Uh, no, and then yeah. you had the after-hours clubs. Right. That's where the real decadence took place. The other ones all had to pay off, too. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, but we traveled through that whole underground, uh, Studio 54, uh, and it was never-ending, uh, but that's how we did it, and that's how we got our information. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, let, let's get into the finders. Okay. On the finders, when that first broke, I got called to Washington 
the original report went into Congressman Charlie Rose's office, the man working there, who knew me, and brought me down to Washington when the Finder's case first broke. What you see on the Finder's case now is so far from the truth, it's unbelievable. But the original thing is there was, similar to what we were just talking about with all this other stuff, it was an operation. A lot of it was for intelligence gathering. And, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I got brought down on that one. They brought me at that time. I was living in Maine, and they brought me down there just for that case. Now, what year was the finders? Oh, I don't remember. I'd have, I got my files here. I right? don't remember either, but I remember seeing it on the news. It was, it was uh, in the 90s sometime. It was in the 90s? Okay. Because it, it was down in Florida where it broke, right? Because uh, they had a busload of kids, a couple of guys in suits, had a busload of kids, little dirty kids who weren't taking a bath or anything like that. And they were saying that they were transporting these kids to a special school uh, for intelligent kids, for gifted children. Am I correct? Yes, but it was not quite that way. Uh these kids were being transported, right. and they were dirty and filthy. I, I just wish I had it handy right here. I could give you all the facts on it, the original facts. I do have a copy of the original report. Oh, I'd love to see that. File. Yeah, I can get that for you. Oh, yeah, thank you. And uh, uh, Finders was just one of these uh, cases that was going on. There were more. But the thing yeah. is, it, it, it traced back the headquarters to the finders was in Washington, D.C. At their headquarters, yeah. they had a goat's head at the front door, correct? I don't remember the goat head. but Yeah, there was, an, there was an altar with a goat's head inside. And, uh, and, and who, who uh, uh, got that case shut down? There was a, a DEA agent that was investigating it. Uh, no, but, but it was shut down by the agency itself. CIA agency. Yeah, it's just like the case we had where they killed the three boys on East 64th Street. That was cut down under shut down under national security. Now, one of the heads of the finders didn't it turn out that later on he was some kind of an aviator for the CIA? No, I think some of that was all. Later on, there was a lot of false information. Gotcha. Okay. Out there, uh, like I said, I saw the original import uh, report and I was down there. I'll have to look up and see what I got on it. And oh, I would love to see that. Yeah. Okay, now, how about uh, the Franklin cover-up? Now, that video is still available on YouTube. People can go there and watch it. But this is yep. Boys Town. Uh, yep. And uh, Boys Town is where Charles Manson came out of. Uh, Charles Manson was in yep. Boys Town and got raped in there. Uh, so what can well, you tell us about that whole situation? The original Boys Town information was given to me in a confidential report to critique before it went out. And it was given to me... On a, in an Irish bar owned by Jerry Toner on West 57th Street in New York. Uh, and I critiqued it and made sure it was accurate, and then it was forwarded to uh, John DeCamp and them in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's how that case got started. And I'm very familiar with every aspect of what really happened and what didn't happen. So, like I said, I had the original Intel report on it. I'd love to see that as well. Now, what about uh, the, the kid, uh, Johnny Gosh? Johnny Gosh, I've right. done a lot of work on that because when Johnny Gosh was kidnapped in 1982, uh, I had already retired, but because it was one of the cases, that type of case that we were following, people called me right away. Even if I retired, they still called to this day. I spent considerable time working on the Johnny Gosh case, Johnny Gosh was the first of four boys that were kidnapped. Uh, the fifth boy escaped, and uh, 
uh, it had somebody had a fetish for newspaper boys. So mm-hmm. out of uh, this, the last kid was taken in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Uh, his name was Jacob Wetterling. There was a Martin boy taken down in Iowa, and there was an Allen boy. They were roughly taken two years apart, and that would coincide with the uh, – it gets into all kinds of stuff, what they look for and how long they use a kid. So I uh, I can tell you without a doubt that the Johnny Gosh case has never been investigated. Mm. I can also tell you that there was a man the agency assigned – a man to investigate this because they they were scared it would go back to the East 64th Street case I told you about with the three boys. And that case went from 82 to 89. And in a report that was filed, there were 1,500 victims, of which me and this guy uh, determined that 834 children fell into the same category as Jacob Welling and Gosh and the the Allen and the Martin boy. None of these cases have ever been solved. Now, wasn't one of the witnesses uh, for the prosecution or, or whatever in this Johnny Gosh case, wasn't there a witness that was arrested and charged with the perjury? Yes. Yeah. Yes, there was. There were a number of people. Uh, there were witnesses. I've been out to the crime scene. I know uh, Noreen Gosh very well. Okay. I've spent many, many hours with her. Uh, going over and verifying everything at, at the crime scene and such. There's been TV shows done about it and everything else. And, uh, yes, it is a case that could be solved very quickly. And was it Noreen Gosh? She was also taunted uh, by these kidnappers and murderers. She was sent pictures. Oh, yes. I, I, on that particular day, there were three people that got those pictures. Noreen's wow. were hand-delivered. Mine were sent to me via the computer, and uh, that is not all. I had been working for about three years. There were approximately 600 pictures available, and when those pictures showed up at Noreen's doorstep and I got them on the computer, I had 72 hours to get to Omaha, Nebraska to pick them up, but I couldn't go there on my own, and I couldn't find any law enforcement to back me because I would have been as in possession of child porn. Right. And those pictures stayed above ground for 72 hours. And then what happened to them? They went underground again. Gotcha. Yeah, that, this, is, this case is one of the most amazing cases, uh, and it, uh, it is the epitome of all these other cases. This is like hitting the heartland. And what's interesting from the Johnny Gosh case, if you follow that, now, Henry Vincent, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was one of the people that supplied little boys to the uh, Washington and that. And this month, or I think it's October, there was supposed to be a book coming out by Henry Vincent. And it's supposed to be telling a lot about what happened. I wish I could see it just to see how much he talked about. I knew Henry Vincent. I knew who he was. I never met him. But there's one even more important. He was arrested in New York was Greg Spence, and he ended up dying in Massachusetts. And I know the detective that grabbed him the first time, and there was some really, uh, in fact, he called me to ask me what it was. So Let me ask you this. Yeah. There, there was some speculation uh, that that young man who was the Marine working uh, as a reporter at the White House for under George Bush, uh, that he, are you familiar with who I'm talking about? Who, Gannon? Yeah, right, Gannon, right, that he was That's Johnny Gosh. He was a fraud. 
Yeah. We verified that. I sent the man down there. He ended up writing about uh, uh, the Johnny Gosh case. I'm just trying to see what the name of his book was, Franklin Scandal. Uh, he wrote about Nick Bryant wrote about it, and when he went down to talk to Gannon, Gannon is a short guy. Johnny Gosh would be six foot four. Nobody in this world yet has been able to switch between five foot seven and six foot four. Gotcha. Now, did you ever see the uh, the episode of the Bo Deedle TV show where he he uh, interviewed Gannon? Uh, no, I didn't see that, but I was on Bo Deedle just before that show. Okay. Because okay, I, I, it was my understanding that the Bodil only had one show. Yeah, I was on that one. You were on the one with uh, Gannon. I was I wasn't on when Gannon was, but the Bodil had me on there. It was his the the show that he did. I think I was the first guest on that show. Okay, okay. It was and my Gannon understanding that that Bo only did one episode of that show. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. and then it was taken. I talked to him every once in a while. Yeah, I have a while, but. I haven't in a while either. I used to hang out with Bo all the time over at the Doral Inn, uh, across from the Waldorf. Back in the days when uh, uh, he was doing, he had the security contract for Mike Tyson. Uh huh. Oh yeah, we spent many nights with Bo Deedle. Um That probably neither one of us want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> you yes, got to know Wal- oh, yeah. the Waldorf. I had some very interesting cases uh, that where I spent a lot of time in Waldorf working. Oh, tell us that. What's that? Well, that had another part of this where we had gotten an a informant out of the Vatican who took us into a guy by the name of Paul Abrams. Uh, and there's a newspaper story. I can send you that, too, where we were going to put a wiretap into Paul Abrams. And uh, the prosecutor in New York City at the time, Robert Morgenthau, wouldn't give us the wiretap, the best wiretap order I'd ever put together. And then they went and busted the joint so that uh, we couldn't get the files. Wow. Oh, boy. Okay. I was going to ask you something. I forgot what it was. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much. It goes in every direction. Oh, yeah, Roy Cohen. Now, you were saying something about Roy Cohen. What was his connection to all this? Well, Roy Cohen was a facilitator. Okay. And as Roy told me one night, I went over to his apartment just by myself, and me and him sat there for a couple hours. And what the, you know, and that was when I asked him about the three little boys that were killed, because Roy was the one that took care of some of the legal problems there. And Roy told me that his job was basically if somebody was compromised, or that the authorities came, he would take care of it. And then if they had somebody they needed compromise, he would take care of that too. So Roy was was a wheeler dealer, and eventually yeah. they got him. They went and destroyed him before he died. So, yeah, and Roy, he, I knew Roy very well. We had it one night. I don't know if you remember Uncle Charlie's uh, on the east side, and we were in there, and a well-known senator was there. And we, me and my partner was giving him a little bit of a hard time, and he called Roy Cohen. And in about two minutes, the guy apologized to us and invited us to sit down and have dinner with him. <laughs> yeah, Roy Cohen was very, very hooked up. This guy was really oh. connected. Uh, all the way back to the the, um, the McCarthy hearings. Uh, yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. So he, he and, went on... he, and we believe to this day, when those three boys were murdered, we knew the bodies were transported to Connecticut. And they were transported to a farm with 110 acres with a stream running through it. 
And after I retired, when Roy Cohen died, they described a farm he had in Greenwich, Connecticut. We were looking at uh, another town, and it described how his house had a stream running through it. So that was the farm, but by that time I was retired, there was nobody looking, interested in going to look for the three boys either. Yeah. Yeah, and he was just so powerful, man, so well-connected. You really couldn't touch him uh, when he was at the, the, the height of his power. Uh, but yet they destroyed him. Before he died, he was totally destroyed. Well, who took him down? I don't know. I don't know who yeah. took him down. Yeah, you can, it's always gets so murky, you know? Now, what about cases like uh, the, the McMartin Preschool and the Presidio in, uh, in San Francisco? Yes, they're all part of this. I worked with Ted Gunderson. I got to know Ted. I knew Ted. Who had worked the McMartin thing and the Presidio. Uh, there were other places. There was a whole thing through California. See, I traveled all over the United States. I had, you know, I could go anywhere. I didn't need permission to travel. I could just travel if I had to. And all of those cases, uh, either after I retired or while I was there, I knew Ted when I was still a detective in New York. Well, then let me ask you this. What do you think about some of the more recent allegations about Ted, uh, especially from Jackie Magooley, the mother from the, uh, the McMartin case? Well, Ted, I, I will never badmouth Ted. Ted did have some shortcomings. He okay. Was not, he was not a crooked, but he had shortcomings. Okay, I think I can appreciate what you're saying. Uh, but uh, I had heard from uh, Jackie Magooley uh, at a time when I was friends with Ted. Uh, that uh, he was on the phone speaking to Colonel Aquino at the uh, you know the Satanist uh, every day. Well, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? I mean that was that was how you find out things. If I only talked to decent people or what we call normal people, I would have never found out anything. Right. I so you... talked, there was nobody so bad that I wouldn't talk to him. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would have no problem and, with that either. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what you had to do. That's how you get to know these guys. And Aquino, we knew about Aquino years before, but he was not, he's become an idol in the subculture now. He was not that big. There were bigger people than him. Okay, uh, all right. Oh, boy, there's so much. Okay, now what about um, uh, the connections with the Process Church to the Manson family? Uh, now, it's always struck me in my head uh, about how the Manson family, how they had those field uh, telephones. Uh, they, they had field radios, like Army field radios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also had their hands on some uh, 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 dune buggies. And uh, I know that <laughs> Aquino used to ride around in a dune buggy. I'll just throw it out there. But also, too, now the guy Tex Watson, he was, uh, this guy was uh, uh, like a, a, a special forces. He that guy was like a, a, an Army guy. Uh, he well, was, just, he, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but just look at this. If you have this and you're using this, how easy is it to compromise people? Uh, don't you think for one second that our military did use some of this technology and uh, intelligence to gather the information they needed? May it be good or bad. So you don't find out anything if I used to call it soaring with the eagles and wallowing with the pigs. You right. Know? Because I, I hear you. And you, you were around enough to understand what I'm talking about. If you're not there you're not going to find out anything. If you're a Puritan, for instance, one night I was chastised by the department that I was spending too much money by going out gathering information. So one night I went and bought a six-pack and sat on the front steps of St. Patrick's Cathedral. 
And it's the only activity report that I turned in. I think at that time the suspect was $2.50. And then I observed no crimes. And that's probably the only time in my career I ever had a night where I didn't have nothing to report. Mm. So that was the last time they told me not to do, you know. <laughs> you get the message. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. And not only that, if, I'd looked, if I'd have looked around, I would have seen all kinds of stuff going on. Well, not only that, but back in those days, you know, uh, there was there was a lot of money to be made by New York City cops. We were just talking before about the French Connection heroin case, you know, it, and even my ex-partner, his father, uh, Bobby Harris, is the one who arrested Nicky Barnes. He was offered eighty eighty thousand dollar bribe. Uh, well, those were little bribes. I was offered million dollar bribes. Wow, who offered you a million dollar bribe? I will. I can, <laughs> if I talk to, I won't put that on the air, but okay. Uh, it was reported to the police department, and the official investigation showed that that could never have happened. And yet, the million dollars, there were two suitcases. One with, Each one had a million dollars delivered to me and my partner, and uh, uh, we didn't take it. In fact, my partner took a bundle of $100 bills and threw it out in the middle of the floor of the uh, restaurant we were in. So... There were hundreds of, uh, of witnesses, so everybody knew it happened. Okay, and then uh, it was kind of covered up, and the million disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I don't know <laughs> yeah. who took the million. We left and sit and left. <laughs> I know, man. I tell you, it breaks my heart. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Well, the kids. There's a lot of money in this. Yeah. There were people that got very wealthy over this here stuff. That's so true. It seems like uh, there's no shortage of money. Now, you, you did some vice cases as well, like organized crime. Oh, yes. We did a lot of that, uh, uh, major prostitution rings. Uh, uh, again, uh, if you remember the death of Bill Smith, the uh, pimp uh, that was killed by, uh, I'm trying to think of the cop. Uh, oh, what was his name again? He just got out of jail. Uh, we had Xavier Hollander, uh, the Profumo scandal, when that came back to New York years later to be investigated, I got that case uh, to verify that it would, didn't violate any uh, secrets in that. And, uh, and Xavier Hollander was a big case. It was national headlines. And so we worked all of those things. Well, let me ask you this. Now, back in those days, like growing up in Staten Island, like we would know that a lot of these, these wise guys would have in their walls of their house, they would have tons of cash. In the yeah. walls of their house, <laughs> okay, it was pretty yeah. much, yeah. But they would get arrested, and they, you know, they then you see them, you know, they cuff them in the front and everything like that. But they would never go in the house and dig up that money. What, what was going on with that? I don't know. What about Nicky Barnes? You said you knew Nicky Barnes. Did he ever tell you how much money Nicky Barnes kept in his trunk in case he got stopped? I think it was one eighty, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll talk when we get back. Okay, my friend. Yep. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report uh, with my guest, Mayor Jim Rothstein. Stein. It's it's, it's Rothstein, correct? It depends. <laughs> okay, I love this you guy. Were in, you were in New York, you know what that, that means. <laughs> yeah, okay, I love this guy. Oh man, Jim, where do you want to go? What, what do you think? You, what's on your heart the most that you want to get off? Uh, but keeping in mind that this first show with you, I'm going to beg you to come back. Uh, yeah, I that's to... why I've been skipping over things, just yeah. to give the people an overview. Uh, each one of these things is a show or two. There was yeah. another unbelievable thing. If you were in New York that time, which I know you are from what you told me, did you ever hear of Father Bruce Ritter? Yes. 
Yes. The Covenant House. Yes. Well, go ahead. There's a lot more to that story. Father Bruce Ritter, in fact, at one point, when the New York State Select Committee on Crime was going, we were doing an investigation into the Vatican and the whole uh, church involvement with this Cardinal Spellman and all this stuff. And Ritter took it on. And we were there the night that he got a dispensation to do that. And again, myself and Detective Rosenthal were the two detectives assigned. Well, when we got stopped, Ritter was basically thrown to the wolves, and uh, uh, he ended up getting drummed out of the church and disgraced. And I can tell you beyond a doubt, I investigated him three times, and all three times he came up squeaky clean because Ritter had too much information, and I saw these documents. There were file cabinets full of documents of every victim that he had, he debriefed and kept a record of it. So he had enough information to throw anybody uh, that he wanted to. The other part of it was uh, he was going to buy the New Yorker Hotel, and Eddie Koch's people wanted it. And I had told Ritter to stay away from it, so they had to get rid of him. But they waited till I moved out of the state of New York, and then they went after Ritter. And I eventually went to bat for him, but by that time he was totally destroyed and, and died a man, a lonely man. Uh, there's some other really heart-wrenching things that go with this. And um, Ritter, uh, and we did the whole investigation into the uh, uh, Vatican Bank and uh, the whole sexual thing in the Catholic Church. That was another part of our investigation. Because Ritter ran a, a runaway... Uh... Yes. What yes, was it called? Covenant House. Covenant House, correct. Yeah, on 8th Avenue and 43rd Street. See, he started off on the lower uh, lower east side. And as soon as he started up, I was assigned to investigate him. And he, like I said, I after a while, I had an informant in his operation at all times. And not legitimate, you know, guys that would tell the truth and... Uh, there was never anything that I ever got that said that he molested kids or touched him or anything. So yeah, because again, toward the they end, had to get yeah. rid of him. Yeah, toward the end, there were allegations, and I assumed that those allegations were true until speaking to you today. Everybody said that, except yeah. there were some people that knew better, and uh, but there was nothing we could do. At one point, wasn't there something went on where somehow they took the phone number from for Covenant House, and it was ringing at a pay phone over there in Times Square? I don't remember that, uh, but like I said, we watched him very close. And then right. after a while, we worked right with him, and he gave us tremendous amounts of information, just unbelievable. He took us to places that were, you know, because he had all these kids there that were yeah. telling him everything. And what a better source than to go right to the source itself. And that's why I always mention the... Uh, that, that investigation that we had, which was really unbelievable. Well, I'm glad and you could clear his name. Yeah, I'm glad you, we can get this out today and clear, yeah. clear that yeah, up. And if anybody wants to challenge me on that, I would love to talk to him because uh, there's all these insinuations and the guy, I know who was behind stopping him. Uh, there, Like I said, I had told him to stay out of the real estate business. You, right. you were in New York. You know you don't go messing that real estate is controlled as everything else. 
Uh, that's so true. Yeah, at one time uh, you can only buy cement from one guy. <laughs> you know, in well, New York yeah. for many you know, years. That, and that's like I say with the organized crime involvement in this. I, like Matty the Horse, uh, I got to send you some stuff on that. You're just going to laugh when you read how well I knew Matty the Horse and all of these people. So because that's what we did, we were out yeah. there every night, and we didn't just talk to the good people because you wouldn't find nothing out. And, and even as big as New York is, the, that nightlife in Manhattan, all the, the, the bars and the clubs and stuff like that, it, it is a small world. You run into the same people over and over again. Uh, oh, it, yes. Yes, people, it is. Yeah. And that's why people sometimes say, well, were you everywhere? No, I wasn't. That was when you were at night till 6 in the morning. What else are you going to deal with? If you, All you do is bounce from bar to bar house of prostitution to house of prostitution to one pedophile joint after another. I, what are you going to learn? You're going to learn everything. Let me ask and, a question. Uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but now, what about Michael Jackson? Uh, because, I, you never know, worked, I never worked on that, but it was there were a lot, a lot of people in the entertainment and music business that were victims. And, right. you know, they were messing around and they didn't realize that they were compromised, you know, and you saw a lot of that. That was, just, well, you bounced around at night, you'd see them all. Yeah. Maybe be after the girls or the boys. It didn't make any difference. Yeah, because even as a youngster, uh, Jackson used to hang out at Studio 54 uh, yep. with, with people like uh, Geraldo Rivera. And then later on, you see, you see Geraldo Rivera defending Jackson. Yes, and I got to tell you my Studio 54 story. We had to infiltrate that. Now, the rumor was there was nothing I couldn't infiltrate, so I went and got this informant of mine. Uh, she looked like Raquel Welch. Anyhow, she wore the proper attire, and you know what? She said, nobody's going to look at you, and they didn't. We marched right into the place, and I got a, I, you know, I was right in the middle of everything. So, you know, there was no limit to what we would do. Wow. Okay, let's see. When did you first become exposed to MK Ultra, and how does it tie all this in? Like, if it, if this is such an organized, well organized blackmail, child molestation group across the country, uh, who do you think's at the top of it all? You know, I don't know who's really. We used to yeah. call it. We used to call it the shadow government, which was just a name we gave it. But uh, uh, this particular MK Ultra thing, per, again, Times Square was the perfect place. And uh, the actual term of MK Ultra didn't come to later, but we were made aware of by the underground of all these experiments and stuff that were happening. Uh, uh, some of the most astounding sights, like one night, I had a partner that weighed about 240, and this kid about 150 pounds. We had him down, and with one arm, he threw my partner about 20 feet through the air. The guy had superhuman strength. And uh, it was things like that. And uh, all the other things that you would see, like the hitching post and that, uh, the sexual assaults, uh, I can't describe them over the uh, show here, but, you know, we saw all this stuff. And we had people in the hospital, St. Vincent's, and almost every hospital, uh, Bellevue, they would give us information. Yeah, especially those days, there was a lot of PCP going around. Uh... Well, yeah, and methamphetamines, because my partner, they even bombed his house at one time to get us to lay off the methamphetamines. 
and that was done through organized crime. Uh, Anthony Rubito and <clears throat> Delacroche and those guys were running that, and we had we had gotten into there. And then one night they dropped a bomb on my <clears throat> excuse me on my partner's house, and it was lucky it was Monday night football. He lived in one of these apartments that was ground level, like down in the basement halfway, and they threw it to there and. Uh, he was watching a football game. Otherwise, he'd have been blown to bits. Wow. So it was a dirty world. Yeah, Delacroce Ayanello Delacroce yep. was a very powerful uh, mafia figure on the time with uh, Paul Castellano. Uh, yes, and uh, yes. lived, lived yes. in Staten Island. I knew all those guys. And uh, interesting because, oh, wait a second. Yeah, now uh, Delacroce died in his home in his sleep, supposedly. And yeah. I believe uh, Barry Slotnick was there with him, correct? I don't remember who was with them, but you also had Anthony Rubito, because at one time we were going to open up. <clears throat> we had an informant with us, and we were going to open up our own uh, disco, you know, uh, gay disco, right. and as an undercover operation. But certain powers to be knew what would happen, and they wouldn't let us do it. Yeah, because all those gay clubs back in those days were all controlled by organized crime. Every single one of them. Yes, every yeah. every one of them. But now let me ask you this: Now, now the, the night that uh, Paul Castellano got killed, uh, Police Commissioner Ben Ward was kind of missing for a few hours. <laughs> okay, are you yeah, familiar with that? I, I knew that. You know, I wasn't on the department anymore when that happened. Okay. But uh, I knew Castellano real well from a case that we had when we were doing that. Uh, Son of Sam's up in the Bronx, uh, Castellano, one of the subjects we were working on, in fact, went to see Castellano. And we, we you know, we followed him and everything. So, oh, really? I, oh, yeah. Yeah, it had to do with uh, garbage and some other stuff. And, uh, yeah, we actually followed him to Castellano's house. Are you familiar with the stories about uh, Ben Ward's son? No. no. Okay, okay. No. Yeah. No, okay. but... <clears throat> like Koch, we knew that well. We knew the best Myerson story. Right. You know, all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, we were into all of that. Okay, now Koch was an interesting guy. Okay, Ed Mayer Ed Koch. <laughs> 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 he, 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 he wasn't really like a corrupt guy taking money, though, was he? Yeah, but he was compromised. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, because now, now what was his motivations? Well... I, I don't know if there was a motivation, but, you know, it was interesting. Just before he became mayor, all of a sudden he was walking around with Bess Meyerson on his arm. Well, sure. Well, and weren't they romantically uh, connected? <laughs> that's about as far from the truth as anything yeah, I've ever heard of. <laughs> what is the difference? She story? was yeah. a, you know what the term beard means? Yeah, yeah, I'll play with that whole thing. She but was that, his beard. <laughs> wasn't there a story about Ed Koch um, where he was uh, in he was in a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, and they found him in there uh, down on his knees, and he claimed that he was throwing up into the ba into the toilet. There's <laughs> <laughs> even a better one about he lost his ID. Oh, you know, really? Some young guys took you know rolled him. And it was my partner got his ID back. <laughs> okay, very good, really. Yeah, I know. Like these stories, you can't make this kind of stuff up. There's so many no, kind no. of stories. Yeah. No, he was totally compromised. Okay. <laughs> Ed was a. I knew him. He was a, a fairly decent guy, but uh, he was controlled. I guess they had him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, let's think. What else went on back in those days? Uh, I, I really want to stay focused. Yeah, I want to stay focused though on the on the, uh, the the child human trafficking stuff like that, the, the finders, yeah. process church. Um, 
See, there was it was big money. Yeah. It was the biggest money in the world, and uh, <clears throat> we actually had another guy that would travel the United States in a Winnebago, buying, selling, and kidnapping kids. And every time I caught him and put him in jail, somebody would let him out, and so that let us know he was working for somebody, you know. And it wasn't the New York Police Department. We knew that. Those were things, and this guy was involved in every racket. Now, this guy was also involved in a situation where one of the big manufacturing companies, the pharmaceutical companies in New Jersey, had been totally uh, compromised because of uh, just a couple of people in the business. Mm. And they were making millions of dollars off of these people. So that was another big thing that we ran into. Uh, you know, companies that were just getting ripped for millions of dollars. And uh, basically, we gathered intelligence, and, uh, you know, it was always difficult sometimes to deal with it. Okay, we only got about 10 minutes left. Now, what about um, that story about how those gay escorts were given a tour of the White House? Well, yeah, well, that, that happened a number of times. That's why if the Henry Vincent story comes out, and uh, some of the other stuff with the uh, Greg Spence, and it's all an offshoot of what was the Franklin cover-up. Right. That that has been going on forever, and there's uh, no reason to believe it. You know, it hasn't continued because uh, if you talk to Robert Merritt and he gives you a number of how many people are compromised, uh, it's just astounding. And uh, there's a lot of th other things uh, at levels you wouldn't believe that we got involved with that affected uh, everything. You, you know, just look at modern days. And I mentioned there are two admirals that were compromised, and there were generals. And uh, now with the military, you constantly see where these guys are being compromised. You know, well, well, what about that story where there were, there were 5,200 uh, uh, Employees at the Pentagon that were downloading child pornography. Well, certainly. Yeah. Well, that's nothing new. I mean, uh, but look at if you're in the military and, you know, they forgot that what little boys and little girls do when they're at that age, and now all of a sudden you're a general and you end up with some female corporal, and there's a guy like me wandering around and finds out about it, right? Yeah. Or anybody in the military knows about it, you're compromised. If you just look, in the last two, three years, how many high-ranking military officials have been removed from their positions? It's probably the greatest national security threat we have now, and uh, nobody wants to look at it. Yeah, it's a, the, the, the bad. The, the best tool for, for blackmail and extortion uh, is these... Uh, oh, it is. It's tremendous yeah. power. And like I say... Uh, we didn't use it to make money, but we used it to gain information. And it's so easy to gather information when you have the right people out there gathering it for you. Yeah. Okay. We and only got gets, about yeah. We only have about a gets, minute left. Yeah. Yeah. This gets to be a fine line because I had a rule: you cannot break the law to enforce the law. And uh, so we always had to be very careful uh, just how we did it. And the other thing is you got to be careful that your informant doesn't go out committing crimes under the guise of working for you. Yeah, but so isn't, that very, of, wait, isn't that really common, though, That uh, especially in these drug cases where uh, the oh, that's, that's dirty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah the, 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 the drug business and drug enforcement, 
uh, is just unbelievable what happens there. Uh, you met, like I said, when you mentioned Nikki Barnes, that is a classic. And Nikki ended up turning on everybody after a while. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, let's get into that. Okay. Because oh, now what about now? Because uh, Rudolph Giuliani uh, was uh, the prosecutor on that case, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now there's, there's an audio tape of Nikki Barnes when he's calling up to, to make a deal as an informant. Uh, and he was complaining. You know the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want me to tell it or you want to tell it? Yeah, you tell it. Okay, real quick. <laughs> because it's amazing. Because when you listen to the recording and you put it all together, it's, it's amazing. He, was, he wanted to make a deal with the feds. And he says he calls them up. He says, listen, I got guys out there that are supposed to be doing things for me. But they're doing things against me. And I want to get revenge on those guys. <laughs> now, he tried to put out a hit on his ex-girlfriend. And his, yeah. his, his guys wouldn't do it. He makes a deal with Giuliani. And a week later, what happens? Tell him. Well, you said you knew, your friend was the cop that made the arrest. He was a TPF cop. And the guy was honest and wouldn't take the money and said, locked up Nikki Barnes. Nikki Barnes couldn't believe it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole bunch of funny stories around that whole thing. But the thing is, is that right after uh, Nikki Barnes made that deal with the, the prosecutor's office, two white guys went in there and killed his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. 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 Oh, there was far more. The Nikki Barnes story, I wish somebody would someday research that and write a book about it, the real story, because when Nikki turned, he gave up everybody. Yeah. So there were more guys like him. There's still a guy that was tied in at the same thing, a guy by the name of Frank Matthews who disappeared. The most amazing story you ever heard about a drug kingpin escaping. Uh, uh, and then there was another one, Virgil Tripp Stone, that ran a drug operation on the east side, 321 East 48th Street, which was basically the same thing. And then finally, uh, one day in the newspaper, you saw a little article that he had been busted. But uh, that took you right into the heart of what really was in the drug business. And yeah. see, the other thing that we got into doing this through this uh, stuff was, uh, for instance, I arrested Frank Sturgis who had been in the Watergate break-in and the uh, Bay of Pigs invasion, and he was the guy on the grassy knoll. We ended up arresting him when he came to New York to assassinate Marita Lorenz. Yeah, so, we definitely are. We're going to have a whole show about that, my friend. Okay? Yeah, that's a whole yeah. other thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. See, I, I, see, yeah. That's why I say this goes into everything. Right. Yeah, it it, it 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 really does, and all these big things like Watergate and uh, the JFK assassination and all these drug dealings and this child molestation stuff—it's it, all connected. Uh, yeah, and it's not—it's you know people think it's so complicated. To me, it's just another thing because that's the way the world works. And it's a small group of guys. It's not that many people yeah. involved. Nope. It's a small not, world. And, yeah. Uh, they all make money, and money drives it. Money and power. Now, what about uh, O.J. Simpson, okay? Because now it just seems to me like the Process Church, their whole thing was uh, with, with Manson and with the Son of Sam was to cause chaos and racial uh, divide and, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff like that. Now, what do you think? What, do you, what kind of connections do you have between the Process Church and O.J. Simpson? I don't have the connection there, but it's a parallel. Yeah. And uh, what is so interesting is when you look at the two victims, what they were into and what they were going to do. They were going to open up another operation. I think it was Arizona. And uh, from information I had, uh, it was a classic setup. Uh, you know, 
it, there's so much more behind the O.J. Simpson yeah. murder than anybody has. Why would he drive around slow? He just couldn't figure out what to do after what happened, you know. Right, right. Well, you know, the, it, well, also, too, the guy next door to uh, Nicole's house was the son of the CIA director. Yeah, well, and then look at some other things there. Especially, I forget the name of the place that they had. Uh, one was a waiter and whatever else. Right. That's a Luma or something like that. And they were going to open up a new one, and uh, it didn't fit in with certain programs. Okay, I'm not familiar with that end of it. Uh, but you know also, too, that uh, uh, supposedly O.J. and Al Cowling were involved in coke dealing with those guys who killed um, uh, Roy Radin. Oh, yeah, I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah, Larry Flint's body are the ones who killed Roy Radin. And you know, they were convicted of it. And these those guys were definitely process guys, uh, hit men traveling all across the country. I believe they were involved in uh, uh, the Zodiac killing as well. Oh, yeah? What do you have on Zodiac? Yeah, I, I didn't do much on that. You know, it's just one of the things we ran across, but yeah. uh, I never investigated. There were so many things that, uh, you know, we got. It was, first of all, you needed a whole background to just understand what was going on. Yeah. And like I said, the very first time out, the New York Police Department Intelligence Division didn't even know what a real pimp was. Right. What and, do you see today? When you're reading the newspaper today, you put on the TV, and you see something, do you ever say, hey, man, this goes right back to what I, what I know about? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, give me uh, Oh, all the time. All the time. It, uh, the military stuff right now with generals and stuff getting bounced. Uh, gotcha. Uh, all that. Uh, oh, and it goes far above and beyond. When you look at the Watergate case for real and the Kennedy assassination for real there's a real connection to New York I don't know if you remember Tommy Ebley from the down on the lower west side Tommy Ryan Ebley he was the guy that had been in uh, uh, Havana Cuba when Batista was there and then when Batista got run out he got run out and ended up getting him killed because he blew the whole mafia connection to Havana where all the money went through right so, and he was tied right in with Russo and them guys down on the Lower West Side. With the, with the Westies? No, the Westies. That was another group. Okay. I knew that very well. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. We so only the got Westies like a minute. were up further. <laughs> yeah, we only got like a minute. Well, we got, I think, like two minutes. Um, okay, we only got a couple of minutes. What do you want to leave us with? Well, first of all, it's all not doom and gloom. And right. all the years when we got stopped, we finally talked to a guy named Harold Laswell, who was a Freudian scientist, and I said, how would I ever be able to stop this or that I couldn't get stopped? And he told me an interesting thing. He says, you've got to organize the mothers that want, so that they protect their children. And he says, once you have the mothers backing you organized, and he cited a bunch of things in history that made that true, and that is one thing. And also, there can be laws passed. Uh, I basically have five of them written up that if these laws were passed, you could really put a hurting on this. Well, well, send me those laws. And I'll put them up on my blog, okay? And we'll, and we'll okay, get some of this I'll stuff out it. there. Yeah, thank you, I'll brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Bye. Bye.